Well, look at you there, freeloader. Just waiting for more free paywalled content. Thanks to us, for some reason. Uh, this is, of course, the strategist five days of giving. And today's episode is our most recent Patreon episode that we're giving away. You might be asking, wait, did the patrons just pay $6 to hear this content that I'm about to listen to? And and you're giving it to me now? Why? Well, well, the answer is very simple, is that uh, more than railing on you for not being a paid subscriber, which you very well should be, I think we've shown our chops um, over the course of the last four episodes, uh, we hate our patrons more than that. So, so here's what I'll tell you. Listen to this episode, okay? Um, feel like a champ for not paying for it, and then pay us. Don't worry, the, the math works, the psychology works, we, we've checked it all out. Enjoy! Our most recent episode where Corey and I, uh, sans Stephen Carter, we go deep on the Pierre Polyev 15-minute housing explainer video. It's a fun episode. Also, the first inaugural episode of the Corey Hogan uh, Look Listen series, uh, which we explain. Enjoy. This is The Strategist, episode 1271. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan. And Corey, not with us, one Stephen Carter. Uh, this guy That's has true. decided to take a break, a vacation of sorts, um, a getaway. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think he's going to a hedonism resort, if if I recall correctly. He, I, my my recollection is he said, "Corey, I'm going to a hedonism resort. Don't tell anybody." So my recollection this is, is very a Patreon similar. episode. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when I bug your it's phones, okay. um, reverse Patriot Act. Uh, you know. And- <laughs> <laughs> just making good. Do you think? Yeah, yeah just making good. <laughs> Reverse and the and the wrong country. So I feel like it's it's totally fair. Um, yeah, spying on white no, people fairball. in the country next door. Uh, reverse Patriot Act. Um, reverse Patriot Act. That, so I, when I reverse Patriot acted, you guys, uh, I heard the same thing. So I I will double verify. Uh, that's what I heard. That he told you that's yeah. where he was going, and he's um, he's unsure when he's going to come back from so does, from hedonism. Does this mean that? Um, you um you also heard the thirty minutes where I complained about having to do an episode with just you, just out of curiosity. I mean, I I don't care one way or the other. I'm just I'm just curious. Yeah, no, and, no. And hey, while you're thinking about that, go ahead. Oh, thank you. I'm yeah, glad okay. some traditions remain um, remain constant. <laughs> uh, by the way, just so you know, I have uh, bottled drinks here, um, which means life mm. is going really well for me. I don't have to do the whole can thing that you're doing. Um, that's weird. Are cans a sign of poorness? Yeah. That's what we're going to discuss. Uh, <laughs> I always thought fans are amazing. No, 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 no. Here's the thing: when you yeah, when are. you have someone over, okay, Corey. Here's the thing: when you have someone over, mm-hmm. uh, okay, removing alcohol from the equation, okay, for a second. Uh, I won't, but okay, but okay. but do it right. This is our ongoing sort of discussion on on items more important than politics. Uh, removing alcohol from the equation, do you feel more classy giving them a canned drink or a bottled drink? Okay, I think the and classier than plastic bottle. Glass bottle, classier than can. You are wrong. You are right. It's the ordering, no, no. Cans at the bottom, plastic bottles in the no. middle, glass bottles Mistaken. at the top. I think we agree on glass bottle. Let's remove that from the equation. Oh, we do agree on glass bottle. Okay. okay. And regardless That's of what's true. in it. It's so, nice. We, yeah, okay. So glass bottle Yeah, we fine. can find some common ground. That's I great. I fundamentally disagree with you. Now, the only thing the San Pellegrino, which is what you're drinking, the only way I would buy that argument, Corey, that can would be above yeah. plastic bottle, was if it was can with foil on top. Now, what I see you drink there is not can with foil. <laughs> I see you drink foilless can, which means dirty topped can does not beat out generic plastic bottle, regardless of what's in it. 
I got to tell you, yeah. the the aluminum can is one of the great marvels of the modern world. It's very good, very recyclable. We should all be using cans all of the time. Forget these bottles, this plastic nonsense. Get with the times, folks. Cans, they're back. You heard it here first. That was that was actually a much weaker take than I thought. I was I was taking a sip from my bottle, hoping that there's something excellent would come. Spit take. Yeah, something would be coming from me. <laughs> Nothing. Why do you think they have the aluminum uh, the aluminum top on the on the on those cans? Seriously, serious question. As as a marketer, do you uh, think it's like pure marketing? No, I think it's because they're made in a filthy factory where rats are shitting on top of the cans all of the time. Okay, I'm going to take the other so. side. I think it's pure marketing. Cool. Uh, <laughs> that's what we're doing. Uh, Corey, let's let's move it on to our first and our only topic. Uh, our first and only topic: the gatekeeper gap, uh, folks. If you're tuning in, this is a a combination that you haven't heard before, which is Corey Hogan and Zane Velge. Is that true? I'm Actually, that. That's not true. We have done one before, apparently. You and me? I saw it, but I don't remember anything about it. Neither do I. Yeah. But but this now now knowing Carter's at his hedonism camp for a while and and um he may not be joining us. Corey, I think it's finally time that we give the listeners what they haven't asked for, which is the long awaited Corey Hogan look listen podcast. Can you give um some folks some background on, on what this is? Uh and, 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 and why we haven't gotten it off the ground up until now. Look, I will not do that. I have absolutely no interest in doing that. Listen, yeah. listen. <laughs> well, let me tell you what this is going to be, folks. Okay, Corey, um, as you may know, might be um, the self-described big brain of the podcast. Uh, often uses the words "look" and "listen," uh, sometimes in an educational, but largely in a condescending tone, um, to to both his fellow panelists alongside you, the listener. And uh, we wanted to formalize that with this being the first episode of Corey Hogan Look and Listen. Uh, we want to discuss one topic where Corey will look and listen uh, and, and, and lecture us about why certain things happen in certain ways. And Corey, we've got the perfect topic to dive into we because do. just this weekend... Today being December, oh, somebody 3rd. even more patronizing than me. Well, yeah. arguably, you're your patronizing twin. Which, by the way, uh, to complete the circle, this is a Patreon episode, uh, and thank you for patronizing it, patrons. Um, Corey, the most patronizing politician we have seen in a long time has come out with a 15 minute Vox explainer style video that he has posted on his socials. I'm talking about none other than Pierre Polyev. He has a video called "Housing Hell." He put it up over the weekend, 9.30 or so in the morning yesterday. On Twitter alone, Corey, 2 million views, another nearly 200,000 on, on YouTube. I suspect more on Facebook and other platforms. It's racking up the views. I'm hearing a lot of conversation about it. It's something that I haven't seen in recent memory. So before I want to discuss the the, the substance, maybe we can discuss the form if you're open to it. Um, and when I say it's a 15-minute explainer video by Pierre Polyev. I'm not joking. It's 15 minutes long. It's voiced over yeah. by Pierre Polyev end to end. And he, he does a Vox style explainer where there's highlighters on screen over charts, circling different things, infographics, motion graphics moving across the screen, you know, streams of documents rolling in, B-roll, cut. You've, you've seen this before. Uh, the reason I'm describing it is because I'm trying to, you know, jog your memory, folks. You have seen something like this before. Um, and, and if you haven't seen this video, you have seen this format. You have seen this type of video. Corey, let's discuss the form. And let's just start with, have you seen a politician do something like this uh, before? I can't recall it, but I also, also haven't racked my brain deeply to see if, if someone has. But I may have mused that, that politicians should do something like this, but I haven't. Have you? 
Well, so not with this level of polish, but there was a very famous incident uh, with Ross Perot where he did this, where he purchased a bunch of airtime on television and effectively with a bunch of charts explained what he perceived the problems of the world to be, yeah, and how he yeah. resolved them. And, and, you know, looking more locally here in Alberta, the very first Nenshi election in 2010, a similar a similar kind of purchase of media was done where mm-hmm. it allowed him to then explain these things, but it was more of a town hall format in that case. Totally. So, totally. I, I, you know, I would say this is kind of the modern take on it. You're right. It's that Vox explainer style, which has been like to fatigue used by so many people over yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah. With the, you know, the highlighting and the cuts and, you know, the, you know, the video and uh, the like charts. Like every two or three seconds almost, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is... It is a very common way to put together a YouTube video these days. We don't really see political parties do this necessarily, but we see political parties getting a lot more into the content business, right? And and so I guess, you know, I was maybe going to talk about this a bit later, but let's throw it on the table right sure. now. One of the biggest shifts in politics in, in my lifetime, in your lifetime, too, you just don't know it yet, but I'm about to explain oh, it to oh, you. Thank you. Oh, oh, say, I can't wait to listen. Wow. That's good. Can't wait to listen, Corey. <laughs> One of the big, the big shift, maybe the big shift is that we've moved from earned media being the primary to owned media mm-hmm. being the primary, right? So some parties haven't totally figured it out. Some parties are doing it and haven't even realized it's what they're doing and then still spend an awful lot of time on earned as a parallel, maybe less useful stream. The media definitely hasn't figured it out. The media still think they're particularly important. They don't even, I think, fully realize how much they're just part of an owned strategy. Uh, But we've touched on this a few times. The idea that you do an interview just for the clips, you know, Vivek style, where you just go on and no matter how much you're beaten up for it, you've got the clips of you saying the thing you want to say on the channel. I would say if I can jump in on this, just to to agree and add a proof point. Otherwise, it's just like 60 minutes of me talking. You go ahead. The most interesting proof point, I would say this week, is Lethbridge MP Rachel Thomas going after um, the, the heritage minister. Uh, St. Ange to try to get a clip for social, like, like almost acknowledged afterwards in, in further tweeting and like sort of uh, yeah. corroborating of, of information that, oh, she was just clip chasing. Like this was like straight up social clout chasing on the floor of a committee, right? Like this is, yeah. This, so yeah, yeah. For, the, for those who haven't heard or for those who are listening to this a bit later and is like, what the hell are you talking about? Because yeah. this feels somewhat ephemeral if you're not in Quebec. Uh, we had um, we had the Lethbridge MP Rachel last name you said I just forgot Thomas. Yeah, immediately yeah. again formerly Thomas yeah 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 uh, she um, she hectored uh, the heritage minister saying can you answer in English mm-hmm. because the heritage minister was answering entirely in French Pascal Sénon because she knew that made it not clippable so both parties were actually playing this game of trying to deny or get the clip right and uh and so then by going out and saying can you say it in english created a bit of a firestorm in quebec because of course this french is one of the two official languages you are more than free to use french in a committee of parliament and so uh it became a thing it became a big thing but you're right the entire reason uh that rachel thomas was doing this was to chase what we all assume the social clip right? The clip of her asking the tough question and getting the unsatisfactory answer. And so it was all about that board on social. But, you know, you see that not just in terms of Hansard and video from Parliament. You see that in in situations like, um, 
Well, when Danielle Smith puts up something talking about a columnist said this was a great idea, and she just takes that piece of what the columnist said and did it. Yeah, yeah. Like, earned media right now really is just there to serve the owned media channels. Uh, You know, they're just looking for additional proof points in their own that they can kick out. And they know that most of their listeners in this super partisan, super media fragmented age are just going to see it from them, you know, not the media. And insofar as they see it from the media, in many ways, it's likely because they've been sent there, right? Like, click through here. This is another thing that supports me here. It's, and it's, that's super interesting. Like, that changes everything, you know, that owned has become so primary. Well, what what, what is fascinating about it, and you're, you're alluding to the U.S. example, I think, is a good one, because we're seeing it all over the place. If you just look at the Republican primary, and it's not to say that this has just happened in this cycle, right? Um, you and I have have used this in our, in our politics. We've adopted some of these tactics of owned media without even fully acknowledging that it's owned media or, like, actually in our strategy or communications documents saying yeah. – under-owned. But here's one thing that we've all started to do in some ways, which is merchandise on any campaign, right? This ability to, and it used to be merchandise just used to be like things for the volunteers. But now every campaign that I know, and you're going to see this, you know, if there's a NDP leadership race in our province, for example, in Alberta, you're going to see this happen, right? Merch is going to be part of it. Another way to kind of raise a couple of bucks to brand people to make them human billboards. Uh, from merchandise to like having clips that are more like Instagram influencer style, right? Leaning into those tactics. The, the, the prime example for me is Vivek Ramaswamy's people putting together like Forbes-like articles about his business success. Yeah. Um, or remember him shirtless playing tennis? Hitting those shots like <laughs> above his waist baseline, like he's playing pickleball, but he you know wants to. That's like, I mean that's that's like a perfect that's example, the, right? Like that is the perfect example because can I tell you in 2012 in Alberta, um, there was a there was a photo op that we arranged where it was Raj Sherman going for a jog. He was leader of the Liberal Party at the time, going for a jog with me actually with his campaign manager, and it was just a clip of him jogging, you know, with me, and. Um, and that ran in the newspaper, right? But nowadays, newspapers don't send photographers to that kind of shit. They're not doing that soft stuff. And it's just being done through owned channels, right? So you try to present this image of yourself through this controlled environment that you have so much control over. It's, it's very, you know, it's, it's very kind of broken. But, you know, owned has its challenges. And I think one of the things as we talk about this shift from earned to owned is that in some ways that is intrinsically tied to this super partisan world that we now live in now, mm-hmm. right? Because you're seeing just one side of things all of the time. And that's a really great way to drum up your base, get them really militant, get them to hate the other guy, get them to donate even. But it also means you're less likely to access other voters. And we used to do this back in our day in Hill and Knowlton, you'll remember. Mm-hmm. We would do message testing with boards. We would do these, uh, you know, randomized surveys essentially where you would get a message a picture and it from a voice we've talked a bit about this before right because we knew for some people some voices would be more receptive they'd be more receptive to them than others and so you test one voice you see if they're receptive you send the same message with a different voice how does that change how they deal with it now if your voice is only your political party and kind of the political allies it's pretty easy for people to immediately discount or just avoid like i can't tell you you told me we were going to be talking about this particular 15-minute clip. I hadn't watched it as of like 40 minutes ago. Um, I can't tell you how little I wanted to watch it. 
right? Because I knew what I was going to be getting and I knew the voice and I knew it was Pierre Polyev. But you told me I had to and so I watched it. But that's pretty uncommon, right? Like we don't tend to go out and look at things from voices that we know we don't want to hear from. It, it It is interesting, and, and like maybe not to wrap up like the broader sort of strokes of the conversation around this transition of owned media, but one of the things that I think we have learned and acknowledged is that, you know, you, you talk back to our Hill and Knowlton days, which were about a decade ago, I would say at this point, and we knew this yeah. trend of owned was, frankly, it happened in some ways, and it was going to happen more. This conversation of yep. the overarching decline of the media, as we've heard, has been going on for a long time. I think one thing we have learned, and I'm curious to hear if you share this opinion of mine, is that we thought own to like uh, the earned to own cycle would be like taking what earned media did, broadcast television, taking articles and reproducing them, but with like a small logo at the bottom with your candidate's name so you could fool people that it was just like your broadcast or it was your oh, article. You're so right. Remember, like we thought that was yeah. going to be the future, that we were just going to replicate broadcast news. In fact, I'd say there's been like, lukewarm, successful, if not entirely failed political experiments. I'd say the Doug Ford PCTV, despite him winning the election, PCTV in that election was like a fucking failure. Like, but because, because the premise was, well, we were just going to do the broadcast news. And what they tried to do was do the broadcast news. And I think what they were, what they and others, ourselves included, were almost agnostic of Jersey color, left and right, were right about, is that we were transitioning to owned, but we weren't transitioning in the same way where it was going to be a copy and paste of what the media role was within the confines of the campaign. So for those that are waiting for that and saying, no, you know, like the media is still very healthy and alive because no one is doing like the six o'clock news or no one is doing the content generation like we are, I, I think you're fooling yourselves because it's happening in a very different way and it's already snuck up on you you're not waiting for something to happen it's here if you're still in that in that camp would be kind of something i'd pause it to to i i mean i completely agree yeah i could not agree more and it's funny because i think back to those days and you're right like and we talked about it as content marketing back Mm -hmm, that was mm -hmm, the big mm -hmm. buzzword at the time right you know we're going to do all this content marketing and i remember we were meeting with some of our colleagues in new york i think you were there maybe you weren't there and uh, no, you, they were thanks, talk- thankfully, you guys put me on um, uh, on Skype. Uh, and, and when I say Skype, I mean it was actually <laughs> Skype. So, just so well, that- do you remember this meeting then? I was. And so they I were was talking the- about some work they were doing. Yeah, no, no, keep going. I, 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 I actually don't know which meeting you're alluding to, I, but I remember there oh, was okay. one. If we're talking about the same one, I, I can I can chime in. But keep going. Look, I'll just say the name. It was for GE, right? Okay. And it was like they were spending a fortune on content marketing yes, with one I was of these. There. I was there. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Um, and it, it said literally nothing about GE until like the last sentence. Like, all you know, it, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but it was essentially just a news story. Yeah. And then in like the most subtle ways, it tried to embed GE in the most minimalist sense possible because the thinking was, well, because that, you know, we don't want it to feel overly partisan. We don't want it to feel overly salesy. So we've got to make it feel like news. And that was kind of the theory at the time. And part of the theory was because everyone knew media was in decline, traditional media, hey, if you do this, maybe they will just wholesale take this if you make it available and run it in a local newspaper, right? Run it in a regional magazine, whatever the case may be. And I think that was, with the benefit of hindsight, kind of a dumb idea because we saw that media was dying, but then we built all of our content to go into the dying media, right? Yes. Like we thought that they would still be there despite dying. And, and that just isn't the case. Now we're seeing those outlets drop left, right, and center. But yeah, like we, we would have 
been embarrassed to do some of kind of the shameless owned media that now is just normal done because the the norms of the time had been set by print and digital and broadcast and all of that that that's right like you're right not just not just the form but the norms i think that's so important because we were just simply looking to say who was going to take over the form and like but the norms of like not of treating this with a light touch of trying to just walk this fine line and persuade so at the end of someone watching the 20 minutes they'd been marginally persuaded rather than hit by a hammer which this video which we'll get yeah. to <laughs> right in in many ways is right like it it literally yeah. like you, you the reason you didn't want to watch it is you 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 knew not just you knew what was going to be said, but you knew the lack of subtlety around it. You knew it was going to be a 15 minute, like, you know, this is the only, this is God's truth. It was going to be told to you in that way. So, so to, to get back to the question, then you don't recall something like this happening. I guess the, the let's stick on form still before we get to content. Cause why not, Corey? We've been able to burn 20 minutes this way. Um, <laughs> do you actually like this? Like, parking aside that it was Pierre Polyev and that I told you to watch it because I wanted to talk about it today, as a, as a political practitioner, when you watched it, did you did you actually, like, say, you know what? Impressive. I, I like this. I see the strategic value of it um, or, 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 or not. I'm, I'm fundamentally and genuinely curious. Yeah, I, so I did. And I thought it was really well done. And I'm sure we'll get into it with, with more specificity in terms of the arguments and the nature and all of this. But there's uh, there's a really big asterisk on that. Part of what I liked about it was the novelty. I think if one of these was coming every month even, mm. they would lose their novelty very, very quickly. People would be far less interested. Fuck, frankly, it'd be like Vox. You know, Vox does not get the eyeballs, I, I don't believe. It certainly doesn't have the cultural resonance that it did many years ago because everybody has started doing the same explainer-type videos and it's become kind of diluted and cliche and all of that. And... You know, it's not something that is going to work this well every time. This was the first time they'd done this kind of long form. And it was, I would suspect, probably the strongest topic for him to do it on, too. Yeah. Um, it's something people will be naturally receptive to. It's something he's got good arguments for. And it's uh, just a super salient issue. So uh, all of those things made it, like, pretty rife. But I think just like we saw Pierre Polyev do the walk and talk videos and then after a while, we were like, okay, enough. Stop massaging the wood, right? <laughs> and uh, they've taken a bit of a backseat. He has kind of shown that he's willing to play with the tactics and kind of mix them up and change them and follow the kind of the trends of the day. And that's not nothing. You know, uh, I, I could open up a can of worms, but fuck it, why not? Um, before we even get to what's in the video. Uh one of the I, I agree with you completely. I was also I also enjoyed it. I also liked it. Um, you know, it 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 was we talk about these campaign ads, and I, I don't know if you you would call this a campaign ad. I guess we would in many ways. It, it was. It was like clearly partisan. It was about his campaign. We'll talk about as 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 the function of a campaign ad, its effectiveness. But if we talk about it from a form perspective, its effectiveness, one of the reasons I liked it was its novelty. But one of the things that was just in the back of my mind, and I've, I'm not suggesting that this is what he did, but I do know, and I think you know better than than I do, that a video like this um, could be created pretty easily with AI. And I, the AI conversation was just stuck in my head the whole time. I'm like, serious, right? Like, to me, it was yeah. like just how they made this. And 
to me, it's like one of the things that I could see this format or videos like this, especially for entering this like video age where like, you know, let's say the liberals realize that, you know, for example, tweeting out your budget, which is what Christopher Freeland did in response to this video, um, is not a great idea. Right. And we could talk about yeah, that in brutal. a second, too. Um, but if they needed their videos up quickly, I could see like the arms race of back and forth political style videos like this using like AI and other things happen quite quickly. I know I'm opening up a can of worms that's deviating us from the subject matter, but I'm curious if you have if you have any thoughts on that or if that just like went through your head as you thought about both novelty and form before we get into, yes, well, the substance. Well, I didn't think about AI, but I would say at one point I was kind of thinking like, how much did it cost to make this? Like either in time or money or like, what do we think they invested in this particular thing? Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that, but I sort of concluded just as I was watching it and probably not as much time as you might think in part because of the ubiquity of this particular format. Now, like the number of, you know, themes you can download and filters and all of that, that go into Adobe premiere uh, to create those Vox effects, they're they're ubiquitous and they cost like 50 bucks a pop if you want to go over to like any number of sites that sells them. And yeah, it, it still takes somebody who's got an eye for these things and a touch and a sense of the rhythm and the beat. But uh, yeah, go, um, you know, go to Audio Jungle and put in Final Fantasy music and you're going to get the soundtrack that this well, you know, on th- this thing. You're absolutely it, right. It's not that hard. You're absolutely right about templates. And, and I also say like, you know, often we give lessons on here. I suspect that, that one of the possibilities, and once again, I don't know this, is that there was probably some potentially some young upstart within the organization that created something like this. And people were like, we love it, like add Pierre's voice to it. If that were what happened, I could not see, I could see that being quite possible. Right. Like, yes, we like something like this. Right. And I think what you're seeing right now from like the tactical side of things, the conservative movement, both in the U.S., but certainly visibly within the Canadian context, seems a lot more entrepreneurial and a lot more experimental with their tactics. So I would not be surprised that like the the influencer marketing era, this owned media era that we're seeing the the bleeding edge at least in the canadian context with perhaps some well-treaded tires from the u.s happen on the pierre side and frankly we've seen it already crypto podcasts walk and talk videos you know all these things i will continue i think we're going to continue to see them push the envelope let's talk about its substance Corey. let's talk about the actual substance of it right 15 minutes long not an exaggeration split almost evenly as problem solution deep dive on the problem kind of like we do deep dive on the solution hyperpartisan on both tell me what you thought when you when you consumed it for the first time yeah so in a, in a funny way the first i don't know 7 minutes when it was talking about solution i don't know if that's the exact time yeah, yeah r- roughly so, though yeah 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 where he's discussing the problem and how the problem is more severe here in canada than elsewhere and the consequences of it and what it means and how middle class people have fallen out of it and the effects on on students and the elderly and all of that had me nodding along like the whole time like it would it this is i've said this before in a lot of different contexts i think this is the problem right now like a whole generation is feeling closed out where we've moved to a place where somebody making an average wage cannot afford an average home and that's really bad like that's unsustainable and that's going to create all sorts of antipathy animosity and ultimately political upheaval. And and he's riding a bit of that wave right now. Like when you look at where conservatives are polling with younger demographics relative to where they usually do, I mean, there's there's a reason here, right? People are now thinking that what their parents had is entirely out of reach for them. And so as I sit there and I think about the problem, I think, yeah, 
absolutely. This is the problem. This is the problem. We've got to fix this particular thing. And, you know, then there's a bit of a turn. And all of a sudden it's saying, and this is because of Trudeau, this started in 2015 as basically the, no, it didn't. No, it fucking didn't. Like, if you want to run the charts back and set different years, you know, it, you could probably say 2000 and you can definitely see this problem growing, although not at the rate of the last few years uh, throughout the 21st century here. And so he sort of lost me on that. His his kind of almost conspiratorial take on what quantitative easing was. He's like, well, if it's a crazy sounding word and you don't know what it is, you can bet you're being screwed or something. Yeah, and as effect, as he right? says that, like just these spreadsheets back and forth in the background are just cutting in and out of the frames. Or yeah, something. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like that's bullshit and that's nonsense. QE uh, obviously was for a very specific moment, which was when there was a freezing up of liquidity during COVID. And the way he described it is not entirely wrong, but not entirely right, and certainly misses the point of what quantitative easing is about. When he talks about, oh, you know, government spending created that inflation, no, it didn't. You know, our spending is not higher than the other countries that you earlier talked about not having this housing problem that we have, okay? Uh, the idea that interest rates are causing this, well, not really. I mean, sort of not really. Obviously, your mortgage payment's gone up. That's going to be part of your affordability if you own a home right now. But uh, it's not entirely what the situation is. And again, it's not different from other countries. It's lower, in fact, than many of the other countries that we're comparing to that don't have this housing problem. So he sort of lost me for a few minutes there. But then he got me back on when he was talking about the dangers of financialization mm. of housing and our totally insufficient rate of building. And then he lost me, you know, when he talked about government added costs. And then he got me back when he was talking about parking. Well, and you, you, it was you, a bit of a trip you, you went, at the well, end, no, you know? But Corey, in some ways, you went through the populist roller coaster where, where things that, that, you know, like when you add so much content as a populist, and you may not say he's a populist, and we could talk about that, but like... Some of it's going to resonate to to me too, right? Like as a progressive who's yeah. kind of been on this file, uh, quote unquote, especially on the on the and the lower income and, and housing precarity and homelessness. Yeah, as soon as financialization, I'm like, fucking, finally, someone talking about financialization, which, which by the way, like you know, is is a I shouldn't say it's a darling of the left, but it's like the progressive left across both our countries have been pushing financialization for a decade now. It effectively means like these large corporate entities, investors controlling this lot of housing, jacking up re rental rates, et cetera. Like that's a very simple, if simplified and uh, frankly poor explanation. Yeah, it's simple. Part. Well, yeah. it's not that bad. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty accurate. Like, I mean, the reality is the minute you put the profit motive in, you're going right. to change and things. And this, but... this is the root of where the housing is a human right mantra comes in and all these other things where, you know, people are talking about housing should not be investments and, ca you know, capitalism and housing, these sort of cultural conversations that that folks may have dipped into or or found themselves in the middle of uh depending on their their um thanksgiving and, and christmas dinner conversation Corey. uh but regardless like in some ways you went through like that populist roller coaster which is that there's almost something for everyone and and i wonder from like an audience perspective um well, uh, two things, uh, and I'll park the second part, which is how does he see, get more eyeballs on this, and is he uh, what should his ad strategy on this product look like? But firstly, for those that are watching this, Corey, I think the objections you had are the objections of, and I'm going to say this like without the connotation that it sounds like, of a learned person. And I don't think they're going to have the objections. What I think they're going to pick up on are the small nuggets that do resonate with them, either on the problem or the solution. And they're not going to be offended by what you were offended by because, frankly, you know what QE is. You and I have an understanding of it. You deeper than me. But you know what it is, right? Right. 
Um, and I think most people would be like, yeah, okay, it didn't resonate with me, but it didn't fundamentally offend me. And I'm wondering if this this video in particular fundamentally pushes back against our kitchen sink approach that we talk about in our sort of communications and marketing world that's saying the kitchen sink doesn't work. The kitchen sink is bullshit. Like, and, and just to be clear, the, what, what you and I mean by that when we've done presentations and when we've talked about this is you you have targeted, tailored, niche-specific messages. Don't give them everything because those are cause for objections that they may not have had in the first place. I want to challenge this video as perhaps being the, the not the antidote, but perhaps disproving that, because I'm not sure if people walk through it. They look at some of these other arguments and they and they say, you know what, this makes me hate it, because he's still on the right wavelength and there's still a couple of nuggets in there for me, uh, regardless of where you might be on, on the political spectrum, if at all associated on the political spectrum. What do you think of that thesis? Well, I would say I kind of consider the kitchen sink approach of communications to be something a little bit narrower than that. It's when you kind of proactively rebut something that you think somebody might have a concern about. So you try to imagine what their concern is ahead of time and address it. I'm not entirely sure that's what was going on here. You could make the case that's what was going on because he put in an awful lot of stuff. I don't think that's what was going on. Hmm. I think it's actually a little bit more fundamental to presentation and communication than that. And when I, when I teach presentations and i've talked about this before i talk about you want to do you want to fill four buckets you want to fill four buckets as a speaker and i won't go into all of the stuff before but ultimately everybody's going to go into a conversation with some of those buckets filled or not right depending on the issue depending on who you are depending on a host of other things including your audience here but you're trying to build credibility relevance comprehension and a sense of urgency Mm. right so the credibility part I think Pierre Polyev, a lot of that content at the start really did a good job of filling that bucket. All of a sudden, he's really explained this issue. He's identified it in very thoughtful ways. He's he's gone into some of the nuts and bolts behind it. That first seven minutes, as I called it, he really built some credibility as somebody who understands that particular issue. On the relevance front, he went through and he explained why it matters. He talked about it mattering to students. He talked about it mattering to, you know, grandparents. So he made it relevant even to people who have homes, but have people in their lives who they know could become anxious and, you know, not housed or underhoused or whatever the situation might be. There was the example of the newlywed couple that are sharing a house with Uh two other newlywed couples for like $1,100, right? Checked a lot of boxes there, effectively talked about how it affects every group that you could possibly imagine housing affecting. And then comprehension. He unpacked that issue. That, again, was that seven minutes, like really explained what was happening and kind of faked comprehension on the causes, I believe, as he went through and certainly built a sense of urgency. So really strong presentation fundamentals in that 15 minutes there. And one of the things that I say in kind of the more advanced versions of presentation training is there are things you always want to be in a presentation, like you want to be clear, you want to make sure that you're simple enough and that you're understood and all of that. But the next level stuff, the next level stuff is the stuff like personal anecdotes, it's stuff like really compelling visuals, and it's stuff like detail. Because there is a very interesting thing about detail, Zane, just like a, a preponderance of information. Most people will shut out the specifics most people shut out the specifics and they just remember the fact that there was detail and there is a a bunch of interesting i don't have like the citations in front of me i'll have to maybe i'll drop them in the discord or something but there are studies that show just volume of arguments even bad arguments make people more supportive 
because they say, oh, they seem to know a lot I, about I think that's this. that's the wavelength that I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're, we're aligned on, on that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, that, that's yeah. what's interesting to me. And I, I guess, let me deviate for a second before I come back to this, because I think you, you do a really good job of explaining presentation training, how he's hit the mark. Like, if he was standing up, giving this PowerPoint, walking us through it in, like, a lecture or a 15-minute TED Talk, right, as, like, junior varsity, you know, conservative club, uh, TEDx series that was happening right uh, on campus. We'd give them high marks for it. Um, you, you know, maybe Ted would even pick it up on their main feed, uh, sort of thing, right? <laughs> but but I also want to reconcile that with something we hear in politics all the time. And 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 I and, and I want you to explain this to our listeners, right? We called this a fifteen minute well done explainer video, right? Because that is frankly the format. Right. Like, they, but we also say in politics when you're explaining, you're losing. Reconcile, uh, uh, reconcile that yeah. world for me. I, I I see the daylight, but help me see the daylight from your perspective. And then I'll try to add mine if, if you don't cover it from your perspective. Because we, we say in politics, you know, if you're explaining something, you're losing, right? We talk about the headlines. We talk about, you know, getting people to understand that surface level stuff. Yet we now have a politician who we're celebrating, not celebrating, but well, let's just say what it is. We're congratulating for putting out this, this you know, quasi-viral 15-minute explainer yep. video. Oh, I, I think it's viral. Help me understand this. Yeah. Well, we say when you're explaining, you're losing. But really what we mean is when you're justifying, you're mm. losing, right? Like when you're saying this action is not something you would support without additional context. And therefore, let me provide you that additional context. And let me use the time that I have to give you that context. That's what we mean by when you're explaining, you're losing. It doesn't it doesn't really mean that like an explanation of something means that you're losing. If somebody naturally supports you and then you're providing additional proof points and you're reinforcing it, you're making it stronger and you're making it more comprehensive, that's not really the kind of explaining we're talking about when we say when you're explaining, you're losing. We're talking about the expansion of a thesis, right? If that thesis is fundamentally popular, if that thesis stands on its own, if that thesis is we've got to do something about housing and everybody agrees, that's no problem at all. But but he's done by expanding on this, by explaining, if you want, is he's reinforced his ownership of this particular issue by building those presentation points that I just talked about, that credibility, relevance, comprehension, and urgency. But the message stands on its own. You don't actually need to worry about them just hearing the top line. When you say if you're explaining you're losing, you're usually talking about an issue where if you just hear the top line – it's a negative for you. You're going to get fucked. And do you really want to spend all of that time creating the context that would allow that not to be true? That's the kind of explaining that's losing. You know, it, it is so interesting, you know, because I, I agree with you. I, I think when you're explaining you're losing as a headline has been one of the biggest misnomers and frankly disservices to our uh, overarching sort of po both political strategy and policy, because I think it has always been about when you're justifying or rationalizing why you do or do not do something versus people suggesting that it means we're only dealing in headlines, that this concept of politics and, right. and what Nahed would say um, in full sentences or Don Iveson here or others, that, that that era is over, that that if you can't boil everything down into 15 seconds, um, that, that you're not going to be successful. And and we're seeing here someone who clearly has the fifteen second, you know, let's let's rattle out the fifteen seconds, right? Freest country on earth, gatekeepers, right? Like everything feels yeah. broken. <laughs> we got that. We got that packaged. And now we get the fifteen yeah. minute. And this reminds me in 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 the absence of our hedonistic friend Stephen Carter, his three thirty, three thirty he'd bring up, right? Like his his concept right. of of the three second, thirty second, three minute, thirty minute. 
And Polyev is, is kind of playing that instrument uh, very fine-tunedly right now, I would say. I mean, I totally agree. That's exactly the one I wanted to bring up. But yeah. like the idea is you want to make sure that you filled for all of those levels, ideally, right? Like if you're only going to have time to do one, you want to have the good 15 second one because most people will only be at that level and politics is a volume game. But if you can fill it all out, if you can have the 15 second version, if you can have the 15 minute version, and if you can have every version in between, that's very powerful uh, because that allows you to sort of meet the expectations of everybody along the way. And I'll tell you something, as much as we were just talking about the media's declining relevance here, you know, the... The fact is, there's going to be a lot of media who watch that 15 minutes and have now, whether they wanted to or not, been armed and thoughting or, you know, thought induced through this uh, particular lens of uh, oh, pure polyaps. I mean, listen, I, n- not to bring in politically sensitive things, but when does that stop me? But this is one of the reasons why, you know, when you refer to like the lens that you view things through, right? These these congressional trips that we hear about, congressmen taking uh, to Israel fully paid for. Right. Whether there's an active war or not. I mean, what the purpose is fundamentally through view a very complicated, extremely nuanced situation through a lens that is palatable to you, that makes you understand and that in its most subtlest ways increases your your support or your level of vocalization for a particular issue in that case being Israel. And in this case, you know, the the job that that this video does is even if you look at the problem and dissect it. Corey, there are partisan angles to how the problem is even defined. The first seven minutes of that video, as I call it, the roughly, right? It's not like the, yeah. the problem is purely defined with the purest, academic, most comprehensive, everything on the table. Let's make sure, you know, um, all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. No, it is a partisan definition of a problem. And even if you acknowledge that, it's hard to not... Uh, fundamentally lean on that as a crutch every now and then, even without you knowing because you have ingested. And I think there's huge, like, even if you watch the first seven minutes, which this is all leading to me asking you about what his ad strategy should be. So I'm, I'm getting to a point in a second. But even if you watch the first seven minutes of it, or the first couple of minutes of it, the definition of the problem on his terms is helpful in its own right. Even if you are complete bullshitty and saying everything on the back end is bullshit, I'm not buying it. Well, and and I don't think everything on the back end is bullshit. I think it's an interesting mix of bullshit and not, mm. and and probably enough, and and sort of this, you know, correlation that is made into causation all of a sudden that this problem occurred. Therefore, it was Justin Trudeau who did it through his actions. You know, this pro- we saw this spike happen after 2020 in financialization. Yeah. Therefore, quantitative easing is the reason why we had this spike in financialization. You know, very, very, very dubious, uh, that, that argument that's being made there. That QE is the line that leads us to the financialization of the housing market. I don't think so. I just don't. I have a I have a question for you. So so this video, I think highlights another one of Piers Polyev's like skills uh, as an orator, and and we've seen like you know fundamentally pretty good orators across our times, like politicians. Like you know I've worked with Nahed. I think he was an outstanding orator. We've seen folks like Tom Mulcair. We've seen you know on the provincial level, Jason Kenney. I think was a fantastic orator. Pierre nice, Polyev, great orator. Pierre Polyev, talented orator. Um, 
we know that but we also view, we sometimes view oration as like a one-dimensional sort of like thing that they're just good at doing it but there's some different columns i would argue and i think today we we kind of realized if we have it and i think the walk and talk videos gave us an, an understanding as well that he's actually a pretty good explainer of things he can take complex things yes add a partisan lens but give you a a easy to understand base level nod your head style agreement to what he's saying um and, and that's a skill that's that's it's, it's a very specific skill of oration we've also seen pierre polyev be like this oratory prick right he can be like fast-witted <laughs> he can like sometimes get himself in trouble right you we may even want to talk about how this video this week might be a channel changer to the troubles quote unquote he had last week despite his poll numbers going up and when i i referred to you know some of his comments regarding carbon tax in, in the uk as well as um you know some some run-ins with journalists but i'll park that aside um I'm, I'm kind of wondering, the reason I'm kind of mentioning this is that when we see orders in our political age, they've almost been defined for one thing. Tom Mulcair, fiery in the House of Commons, didn't really have an explainer vibe to him, right? Nahid Nenshi, right. excellent, like, you know, no notes, he could speak any single time. I think Jason Kenney, similarly, right? No notes, could captivate a room, like, everyone in that room is like, man, I wish this was scalable, right? I'm persuaded. Um what should Pierre Polyev sort of like oratory lane be, Corey? This is what I'm ultimately trying to get to. Should it be that Bill Clinton-esque like explainer in chief with what we've witnessed here? Should he stick to the kind of like, you know, prickly, witty, um, let me be charitable, the witty, fast-witted, like, you know, like uh, sort of uh, fire-breathing style person? Like, I'm kind of trying to reconcile all of this as he picks his brand on rhetoric. He's got this amazing talent and i'm wondering if he needs to hone it in in some way rather than just let it loose on each of these lanes all the time where to the point they're not able to be contained and people are more confused by who he is than actually fully appreciative of this guy's immense skill does that make sense even as a fundamental question yeah yeah i mean i don't i th i think we have talked about how pierre polyev sometimes falls into prick mode when he has spent so much time trying to be somebody else here right and that's an interesting challenge that he has. I'm not sure that... Well, it is. It's tied to the order question here. I think Let it me is. unpack this order thing a bit. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. What does it mean to be a good order? Like, like for me, it is actually those things along the lines of building everything towards getting people to agree with you to the point that they are willing to take action, mm -hmm. right? For me... It's a high bar. Of being like, a in the world we yeah. operate, it's, it's, a it's not just like, you know, gentle applause. It's... This motivates me to do something. Like that's a very that's hyper. motivate to do something. Yeah. That is that is the summary. That is the perfect summary. And the thing is, most people don't think good orator is that. Like most, they're like that was a pleasant speech or I enjoyed mm. myself. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and if it doesn't take that next step to action, I don't think a lot of people are thinking that meant they were a bad orator. But that's not what being a good political orator is. A good political order does require that kind of action, that next step. And there are a lot of different ways you can do that. There are a lot of different tools in the toolbox, and some people are just going to be innately better with some than others, right? Um, again, you're trying to be compelling. You're trying to build that urgency, comprehension, mm -hmm, relevance, mm -hmm. and credibility. And, and there are lots of ways to do that. There's not one way to do that. Pierre Polyev has shown that he has a lot of ways to do that. Like, he is a two-way player here. He can, he can be that prick, and he can also be that explainer. Now, when the two start to seem like they're two totally different people, he's got a bit of a problem here. But I don't think at their core, they need to be two entirely different people. He's going to have to sort of watch himself on all of these things here. But but yeah, I mean, 
part of his challenge, this this kind of schizophrenia that he sometimes induces here, is he can do those things. You know, he doesn't lean on one thing and and he, he doesn't really need to. Sometimes maybe he should, but he doesn't like personally need to. He can still make his point in different ways. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I do think it's a bit of an interesting thing to watch and see how it kind of plays out for him. Yeah, like, I guess the the root of my question is really, like, what does this, what does Explainer do to his brand? You know what I mean? Like, what, I don't think it hurts it. Yeah, yeah. okay. I, I mean, I'm curious, like, I'm, 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 and it's a question I grapple with, like, because I think it does add a bit of depth, like, quite literally in some ways, like, you know, adding a 15 minute video to your stack is like, is depth in some ways to be able to walk people through this, this certain level of content shows a different muscle. But like, as it relates to the guy who, who, who fires out headlines and, and, and is building this certain momentum, would he just be better f- with a more focused, sort of perspective i think it's kind of i wonder if that conversation is actively happening right like within his party being like you've got this skill in fact there might be too much skill and then like this sounds like too many compliments for Pierre, but i think this is perhaps what they're saying right like dude we, we may want to actually strategically think about this right like where your value your oratory value is best placed um knowing that attention is fundamentally limited you know, it's interesting because when we talk about those walk and talk videos and even going further back, like start of the COVID pandemic, remember when he's sitting in a field with two pieces of lumber, we all made fun of him. for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, sure, right? sure, sure. Like Explainer has been part of who he is for a long time. Like even when you look at him in committee, he will often try to summarize what's going on in a way that like like frames it all like to your point earlier about that seven minutes framing it in a useful way he has always been part explainer part prick and he's always kind of used it the way this video does in long form in my opinion right Mm. he will very clearly lay out the parameters of everything it's almost like a chess player who's moving the pieces into position to get ready for his attack there and then he does his attack and that's usually where he makes the turn and it's actually like zane you said it and it's so right like that first seven minutes is not neutral it's not like it's cnn reports mm-hmm, on something mm-hmm, here, right? mm-hmm. it is him putting the pieces on the table that tell the story he wants to tell you know the price increases since 2015 doesn't matter he's not looking at the parts earlier than that and some of those earlier trends right getting everything on the table he needs to make that scathing vicious attack to come and um you know maybe he doesn't need to come off as a, such an ass sometimes as he does when he's doing it but it's it's all been part and parcel. It's always been his thing, right? Like, mm. I am going to set this up, and then I'm going to go for the kill. Maybe he just keeps the balance going, right? I'm, I'm just trying to stress this with you, stress test this with you as, as we go along. Um, talk to me about his ad strategy. This is a 15 minute piece, and there's like a lot of like there's a lot of yeah. interesting things we're brushing back against, including like uh, you know longer format. I mean, this is a podcast that occasionally records you know, sometimes over an hour, 20, hour 30. Like, I mean, I don't hope I'm not revealing our trade secrets, but we have very high penetration on this pod. And that's only to make the point that, A, we're amazing, but B, people, (laughs) people, especially if you have an audience, will go through it and watch the whole thing. Like, this misconception that, like, it has to be 15s and 30s, which I want to get to. That's so funny. Actually, can we talk about that in the context of our pod? Because I won't say who, but... We have some friends at the CBC who I remember years ago would say like, it's it's too long. You got to make it shorter, right? Like you got to do thirty minutes. You got to do forty five minutes. You and this do was pre Rogan like, doing three hours sort of thing, which is not yeah, like, right. we're not trying to go down that path. Yeah. But when you look at the Rogan <laughs> stats, 
and you could look at these stats, like the penetration is like 65, 70% of people complete the three hours. Like they're loyal, devoted, like they're and, there, which man. is bonkers shit. Yeah. But yeah, like, yeah. you know, our, uh, our stats aren't bad either. Something like 97% finish even when you do an hour 20, right? Yeah. Like, yeah and, true. uh, and so it never really seemed to me like it was a particularly big problem. Like we weren't seeing like these drop-offs or declines here. And, and it is one of those things where maybe it's a different issue. Maybe it's somewhat related here, but we're not in a world where everything is programmed in those blocks anymore. And you kind of can choose to dip in and dip out of the things that you care about. Like you don't have to sit through a program that you only half care about when it's a podcast. Right. Well, and so case, case in point, can I just, should I just add here, right. As, as you're making this yeah. point, this video, right, to, to get very specific about it, is 15 minutes and nine seconds. And the order probably was, let's just make it as however long it needs to be. We don't need to shave yeah. it down to 15 perfect. It was 15.09, and it is, that's what it needs to be. It's fucking, it's 15.09. That's what came out on the end. And I think there's something actually, like, as simple as that is, there's something very incisive about that in its own right. Because this, they didn't well, make a fifteen-minute video. They made a fifteen-minute, nine-second video because that's <laughs> what it needed to be, right? And that's a very different thing than going out and saying, "Let's make a fifteen-minute explainer video." Oh, I agree. And I think you talk about ad strategy. One of the opportunities they have here is to continue to play with the format that they've got in the channels that they've got. Like to me, when I think about ad strategy for this, I think YouTube pre-roll one hundred percent with the full fifteener. With the full fifteen. Oh, that's interesting. Go ahead and go ahead and skip and back to six out. if you want. Yeah, just do it. Just do it. And I'll tell you something. We did this a bit at the government of Alberta with some of our longer form explainer videos, yeah. and we found like we for sure always made sure we had our key message in the first six non skippable seconds there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like the number of people who like if you get them hooked, will just sort of stick around is is pretty impressive. And and that is like you're not paying really a lot more for uh, you know that. So. Go for it. I mean, the amount of kids who are, who are going to be watching this um, as pre-roll before Miss Rachel is going to be amazing. I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's the target audience yeah. that invariably yeah, that's gonna it ends up being. Well, this is why, Zane, let me tell you, I've got to tell you this right now. It's a mistake that I made. I'm still dealing with it here. My kids are now, you know, I've, I've had kids for a while. Get them their own YouTube account right away. Do not mix that shit together oh, yeah. with your YouTube stuff. That's right. That's yeah, no, no, no. You problems. Sufjan's starting to watch Matt Reif on Jordan Peterson's podcast, and uh, <laughs> I think he's I think he's enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's yeah. A, it's I mean, a, you got to watch out for that. It's a, it's, it's going to be in your feed now. It's a dumb person uh, with Jordan Peterson. So here we go. Um, <laughs> well, anyways, um, would you would you split this up? Or would you just say the secret uh, sauce was that we made a video about this topic and it needed to be however long it needed to be. It ended up being 15 minutes and nine seconds. I'm not shoehorning this into a minute 30 or 15s as any traditional ad person would tell me to. This lives how it lives. Or would you actually I mean, be in the room and push back and say, you know what? It's going well. Maybe it should have more eyeballs than it is. Maybe it's one minute version isn't terrible maybe a 15 second version or 30 second version that says find out more at this website isn't terrible what would you be pushing back knowing that let's just say it's it's a bona fide viral success what would you be telling yeah. folks in that room today you know well first of all i'd say test go sure, out and sure, try sure, it, sure. Right? Okay, but, 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 but be a classic ad person for me for a second too yeah. right like have an opinion but beyond test i have an opinion i have an opinion what would it be what would it be it's don't do it. Like I would be. You know, I, one me of the, too. Me too. That's what I would say. One of the biggest challenges 
in advertising is what I, I describe as jumping mediums. So when you are watching a television program and it says like, go to this website, or there's a billboard and it says, call this number. And all of a sudden you're asking somebody to do something different than what they were doing. Mm. Part of why I love digital is you don't have to jump medium. You can just stay there and you can kind of click through and you can follow the chain and you can get all the way down. And you pay for so much that is not used on on a on a medium jump, right? So imagine a television ad that says, watch the viral video at housinghell.ca. PierreDoesHousing.ca, Pierre which I now have to uh, Well, we also do we own housinghell.ca. Let's just check that because if we do not own Oh, well, he's got he's got to own No, that. no, he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. Uh, housinghell.ca, okay. I think it's available. <laughs> and honestly, Corey, okay, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do our own version of this video. We have to do it now. That's amazing. Well, we Can do we do an do AI version? Can we just make this full circle and do an AI version of this video? <laughs> uh, oh, little, probably. Okay, good. That's good. That's good. And I'll be okay, available well, at housing, housinghell.ca. Uh, okay, very nice. Uh, make that quick, Corey. Like, maybe, maybe, even, yeah. maybe even make these listeners wait while we purchase housinghell.ca. I just don't know that how compelling that is where where you have to do a bit of a jump from like the, the you're not going to do it justice in 30 seconds the the entire point was the depth and you're not going to be able to recreate I, that depth I hear you. in 30 seconds i think i think in the room it gets really exciting when you know you've hit on something and then you're like how yeah. do i just get this to more right and i think well, what you can would, i yeah go ahead go ahead do it do it do it marshall McLuhan here is in the corner screaming at everybody this was made for a different medium it was right it and was. If you want to do a 30-second ad, do not try to do a 30-second cut of your video. Think about the message you want to make in 30 seconds and do that. And maybe at the end of the funnel, there's a way that they can get to the video. But I think it would be a huge mistake to try to repackage this video as 30 seconds. You know, if you want to make the same point using some of the same materials, fill your boots. But don't try to turn this thing into something it isn't for a medium it wasn't created for. That's that's my personal feeling. Like, now that said overrided by go out and test but you asked for like an ad opinion and that's my ad i think i'm in the same ballpark as you um tell me this i've got no over under lightning round i want to wrap this up um well it's because it's for carter you do it for carter well exactly and he's not here um he's not here what should the liberals do man like i'm not don't solve their world's problem solve this problem (laughs) and i guess you you might even if if i'm asking you such a narrow question you might just tell me well fuck it this is not a problem this is not one of your top 40 problems that that your opponent has a uh, viral video on on a core you might disagree like i'm just kind of giving you one option right you can take that door if you want to to be like fuck it this is not one of your big problems man you've got other problems but you look at it, it's working. I've heard anecdotally this weekend, this video was sent to me on Instagram a few times, even before I saw it on Twitter, and I was like, I didn't even know what the hell this was. I honestly thought it was a video taken down, Pierre, and the liberals finally got their act together. Wrong. And then I watched it, I'm like, oh shit, this is a video. <laughs> well, you, no, you right. should have known that was No, well, I, I, yeah. I thought like maybe they were just packing all their ammo for like a 15-minute hit on Pierre, and it's not. Um, what should they do, man? Like, if you're sitting as like the ad person for the liberals, like they'd almost pump this to your corner. Like, yeah, the political director would talk to you about it, but you're the ad person for the liberals, or you're like someone who's on the comm side. Would you say not one of our 40 problems, or would you say, ah, fuck, it's one of the issues we need to actually neutralize, if not just fully win? This is a problem. How would you be? How would you be thinking about this today? Oh, so first of all, I think it is one of your 40 problems. Mm. I think that this is like. If not the problem, it's like a capital A, A problem here. 
What I would not do is what Christian Freeland did, which was quote tweet it and say, here's a link to the budget, right? I think or she took that update. down, but I, I, I'm pretty She sure. did take it down and then she posted it again without the quote tweet. So oh, okay, okay, not, okay. not the greatest political communication strategy ever. Pretty, pretty ridiculous stuff here. You don't, you don't try to trump in a communications arena, a communications product with a policy product. Like, it, it, you know, we talk about the budget and the fiscal update being communications products. But only in, like, the loosest sense. Like, you're not trying to get everybody on Twitter to read the fiscal update. That's fucking ridiculous. And and I get that we just said, hey, 15 minutes in substance, and that's amazing. But the reality is there are actual charts and data and stuff that's just going to make people go to sleep if if you're forcing them to go read that there. So don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure anything needed to be done in terms of the particular approach uh, on Twitter this weekend. Like, wait and see where it's going. And... Uh, and, you know, I, I think that talking about it is just going to be raising the volume on it at, at a certain moment. And you've got to decide how and when you respond in a thoughtful way. His actual plan, like his four points, maybe consider doing all of them, you know, like, uh, honestly, like I look at this for the liberals and I say, you are so fucked on housing. And well, I don't I don't actually blame you for being getting us to this point. I do sort of say you've been holding the reins for eight years and you didn't do anything about it. And your your few mediocre limp solutions didn't make things better. Like, oh, we're going to solve the housing problem by making it easier for you to borrow money. Fuck off. That's not a solution in any way, shape or form. It's just going to that pours gasoline on the fire that exacerbates the particular situation. So you've got to neutralize this particular issue. This is not a I get to win on housing issue for the liberals. It just simply isn't. And lucky for them, they've still got a couple of years to the election. Their best hope is to actually resolve the problem or get to a point of stalemate where the other, uh, you know, other person's solution, I'm putting solution in air quotes here, is just not something that they can run on very much either. And all they're going to have left is the liberals did the thing I wanted to do, which is actually not a particularly compelling message for anybody, right? Mm. So... Maybe, maybe you went and you surrendered on the carbon tax in Atlantic Canada. That was a mistake. That was signature to you. Housing is not signature to you. This is the thing you surrender on. This is the thing where you say, I'm, you know, imagine it like a negotiation where you desperately want to get to yes. Anything they propose, you should probably just do it, right? Until they do something that is so outrageous that they're actually on the wrong side of Canadians. But just take this issue away from the conservatives, and that actually starts with policy. Yeah, it's it's you make a good point. I mean, he introduces all these terms that he's trying to coin, including the gatekeeper gap and all these other things, where he talks about how government's the most expensive thing in housing. But uh, to your point, Bullshit, by the right, way. right, right. That CD Howe, don't get me started on that report. The four, there's four things that he says policies wise you should do. You're, you're suggesting they 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 kind of adopt this. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I've got one final sort of question for you, which is a, a conversation hearkening back to our favorite hedonistic friend, Stephen Carter, which is about stickiness. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things yeah. I noticed about this video was while it is partisan, as we fully acknowledged, both in the problem and quote unquote solutions, it doesn't go as hard on Trudeau as his rhetoric has in the house in other videos etc it doesn't mock trudeau in that same way so others might disagree but to me in my interpretation i think all of that's deliberate because i think their core goal strategically Corey, is shares shares and persuasion 
watch this, buy the problem in the way we're selling, buy the solution we are selling. And with that in mind, if you agree with it, how sticky do you think something like this is in terms of warming people up? Kind of like how those ads with, you know, his wife doing a VO for him as he was walking in the park with these kids was meant to kind of soften folks up on his image. I think this also has a persuasion element in it and as it relates to shareability. Talk me through that in terms of how sticky you think something like this could be to the overall sort of Polyev brand, or do you think it's like a one-and-done 15-minute or, hey, he did a good job on this file, but it actually doesn't make me feel anything about him? Well, let's talk about... Oh, I think it do, it will make people feel things about them. They will think mm. he sounds smart on this issue and he understands this issue. Let's talk about the shareability thing, because I, I do believe that there were some very conscious choices made to make this thing more shareable. Mm. Talk, talk to me about and, yours. And look, yeah. like, What'd you notice? Like, I I shared this thing, by the way. Like, I quote tweeted this, and I'm like, oh, I you like did today. This. I don't oh, like okay. this yeah, yeah. along the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. which I probably wouldn't have done if it was, like, it's starting off with a bromide and going nuts. But here's a couple of things that made it more shareable. One is that there was actually, like, a nutritional value to it. Like, mm. it actually explained things where people could say, oh, I didn't know some of these things. I'm going to share them out there, right? Two is... It's, you know, it's partisan attacks don't come until about that seven minute mark, at least in any kind of substantive way. There there are a few things early on with Trudeau's head bobbing around at the 2015 yeah, yeah, mark yeah. as it's shooting up. But by and large, the, the heavy partisanship comes later. And so most people, I, I won't say most, like a lot of people are going to make the decision to share based on the first couple of minutes. They might not even get through all of the video right away. They might share it later. They might just, they're going to feel safer sharing it because it doesn't necessarily feel like sharing a political attack ad because the political attack ad comes later and it's embedded and it's in between a couple of different components. It's somewhat buried almost like when you're writing a, uh, you know, a paper in high school and you put your weakest argument in the middle, right? They put the political attack in the middle. So at the start, there's not a political attack. At the end, there's not a political attack. And so if you've just watched a bit of it, you feel good sharing it. If you watch the whole thing, the last bit you've watched, you can feel okay sharing it, right? Makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. And there is also, and closely tied to that, this sense of optimism around it all and this sense of solution. And I'll tell you something that's really interesting. One of the things that is a consequence of this shift from earned to owned, and it's all tied together here, the stories about like the outrages of the world, like really terrible things happening, somebody dying in care, for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. those things don't actually get shared on social media because people share things on social media, but not everybody. So like some people will share it and say, what an outrage, right? But by and large, the majority of people share positive things about it that will reflect well on them and sort of help establish their own personal brand. What they're trying to project to the world and to their network. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so not by, by kind of posting something that is like long form politics and sentences, as you've said, complete sentences makes them look like a thoughtful political operator says, Oh, this, I don't always agree with Pierre Polyev, but he made some interesting. I was just going to go exactly there. That particular line you just said, if I were to take a, if I were to try to be prescient, I'd say this video gets shared the most, especially on platforms like Facebook with Outside of those that are just like, you know, just doing the retweet because he's a conservative, he's our guy, he's our guy. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of, I mean, I don't like everything Pierre Polyev does, but this is hard to refute. Or this is a really good. Yeah, because of Because of part one, two, and three of what you just mentioned around nutritional value, political arguments, uh, political hackery or or partisanship or attacks being buried in the middle. I think we're going to see a lot of those hedges 
but I think that's manufactured. Like that is like that is I, a win. I think it was entirely intentional. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it was accidental. Yeah, and yeah. So I think that they have a good sense of what makes something shareable too. I, I mean, by and large, you have to be sort of impressed with the craft of this, right? Yeah. Both the craft from like a understanding of the medium and a craft from the understanding of presentations and communications. It's um, you know, it's going to make people pull their hair out, and it's going to make a lot of liberal partisans who are listening to this really mad at us for kind of giving props where props. Man, are I'm extending due, this episode but... longer than I need to. But what part of this? <laughs> what part of this? So, if Jagmeet Singh today had released this video, not the same reach, same video, exact same fucking video, because it includes some progressive things in it, exact same fucking sure. video. We, we would not be talking about it in the same way. There is a halo effect we are applying to this that, that you know, maybe the hour, six-minute mark is not the best time to address it. Uh, maybe minute two <laughs> would have been. But fuck it. Like, as we kind of, like, um, but, by the way, it's, that's comma, but, comma, fuck it. Not, you know, it, the, the, yeah, okay, okay, perfect. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, um, very good. For, for those that are uh, printing out the transcript of the show and want to quote me correctly. <laughs> uh, but there is something to be said about, like, the fact that, like, this is an extension of Pierre on its own, right? And like, this, the reason we're celebrating this is because of Pierre at the center of it, not just fundamentally the nutritional value of it. And I think the real sort of marker, just as I try to work this out for myself, of success here is oration, content and nutritional value, not entirely, um, you know, partisan, so to speak, at its core in like an attack ad way. Uh, but still, like, you know, done in a way that that allows people um, to make it shareable and hedge. And I think a hedge for people is wins, right? Like it's for, for Paul Evan team as they keep people on side or they, they kind of build new supporters saying, maybe I should be listening to some of the stuff he, he he's talking about beyond this. Or maybe he, I should be considering him for some of my support. Well, and this is this is part of why this was such a if I suspect they're going to do more of these because success results in people doing things to the point where it just gets run into the ground. And this is going to be, is already seems like a success to your point about the views and all of that. But this is such an interesting entry point for a lot of people, right? Like even if you hate Pierre Polyev's uh, position on 30 other issues, you might actually have a bit of like, okay, maybe he's got a point on this one. And I suspect you're going to see that the next couple of videos are going to kind of just incrementally walk you down that road. So this is the one where almost everybody's going to agree with him in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not entirely, mm. but, you know, let's call it 65% agree with him. Maybe the next one is just a little bit further about how, like, boy, it sure has gotten expensive with taxes, where not too many people are going to disagree, and so on and so forth, until all of a sudden we're at the very end of that line and we're all wearing shirts that say honk, honk, and support the honk. <laughs> oh, you no, think like, he's going to go, this is like part one of his own, no, I'll, I'll go in I some mean, ways. I, yeah, yeah. He's like, not like. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think he's actually going to take us to that end, but yeah, I do. I think that he's starting with the content that's most approachable. Yeah, that's fascinating. Oh, well, thank you, Corey. This was a good ep for, uh, first episode of Corey Hogan. Uh, Look and listen. Look, listen. Yeah, well, yeah. listen, look. Who knows what it's called? That's a wrap on episode 1271 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velcher. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, not Stephen Carter. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>